Before we start today's show, just a little heads up programming note for those of you looking for the live Travers Monster Pod in your feed, you're not going to find it. We had some audio trouble. So it's one of those things that's like a joke and you say uh, that doesn't quite land and you say you had to be there. Well, when it comes to the Travers Monster Pod, you had to be there literally because only the 50 people who turned up at the Brentwood are going to get to hear that analysis. It, the sound was just too bad. And I apologize for that. We've got lots of other great content coming up on this show. We're going to start with a little Horse Players Happy Hour preview. We've got uh, JK and Steve Christ. We're going to be coming online and the usual excellent array of guests. Race Lens segment with Matt Vagvolji covering Woodbine. And of course, Betmakers and Monmouth Park. Going to be telling you some good stuff about them later in the show as well. So we'll do the ads and then we'll roll the stuff and we'll rock and roll. Uh, the big ads for today's show we got to thank our sponsors over at Adelphi Racing Club. And here's the good news. Lately, we've been talking about Adelphi Racing Club. They haven't had inventory. They've got inventory again because they were very active. I want to say we were very active since I'm part of the club at the Phasing Tipton Yearling Sale for New York Breads, purchasing an arrogate colt out of the family of Audible and Governor Malibu, headed to Christophe Clement, a beautiful toneless filly out of a stakes place dam, also going to be heading in the direction of the Clement Barn, and a hard-spun colt who was very, very impressive uh, walking around ahead of the sales. Going to be going to trainer Ray Handel. Join the club, AdelphiRacing.com, or reach out to our man, uh, Matt Kater, Matt at AdelphiRacing.com. Also want to tell you all about the Jocks Room. If you've been paying attention to our content this week, you've probably heard about this amazing project that is, yes, it's horse racing NFT, but it's collected to a real-world collectible that also gives you essentially an access ticket to a really cool fan club. So I want you to check it out. Jocksroom.io. That's jocks with a Z, J-O-C-K-Z room.com. Going to have a, a lot of information there. The top 10 riders at Saratoga, all going to have their own collectibles with special perks that we're going to be participating in. You can also check out the really cool uh, NFT collectible they did for Epicenter. We did an example of what some of the premium content for that's going to look like. The, the legendary racing prospect NFT for Epicenter. Check that out. Openstable.io. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for uh, Travers Day. Travers weekend, Saturday, August 27th is where most of the races we're going to be talking about are happening. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, coming to you from the little house on the east side. We're doing that gimmick where we, we combine forces to mash up with Horse Players Happy Hour. If you're unfamiliar with Horse Players Happy Hour, this is something you got to get involved in, folks. $20 contest every Thursday. Interconnected series We've got $20,000 added to the tour pot. You only have to play one week to potentially be eligible for that. And all the money goes to Thoroughbred Aftercare. You can check that out on horseplayers.com. We have a lot of fun. We bring in a lot of guests, as you can see from the array of talent that we have here with you. Uh, the first of them, I'm just going to bring them in one at a time and then we'll and, and get their thoughts on the races because um, we already did the intros already on this show. We will start with our friend coming to us from the Netherlands, staying up late. Naomi Tucker. Naomi, how are you? And who do you like in the Pat O'Brien this weekend? 
Very well, Peter. It's not that late. I mean, it's 20 to 11, sort of late. I did actually have a glass of wine, so I'm beating Michelle at that one, but I guess I had more hours in a day to do so. So, no, uh, look, it's the Pat O'Brien seemingly is going to go through the eight speaker's corner, right? Bill Mott shipped him all the way uh, across across the country, basically, for this winner you're in race. Uh, instead of keeping him at Saratoga, you look back at the John Nerud, where he was the only horse in the entire field to go with. Life is good. Life is good. Then went on to win the Whitney. Of course, British got third mile. Pegasus, we know how good life is good is. And Speaker Scornier stayed with him for as long as he could before kind of, you know, tiring belatedly. But if you just look at, at the body of work that he's done, uh, won the Carter handicap as well, it's tremendously good horse quality wise seemingly stands above this field so you start looking for perhaps a couple of horses that could be interesting i think laurel river is interesting not just because of the name of course bias uh, laurel park laurel river should be good right he came back over 328 days break at del mar took a huge step forward is what it felt like he just broke cleanly for the baffert stable was asked by hernandez to kind of move forward hold the rail, had some horses come over, did so willingly, kind of relaxed into it, slipped through, and they just dominated the field. Now, that was a couple pegs below that what he will be encountering today, but I'll take, you know, that second after a break moving forward. And I do think based on the time from US pace figures as well, that he's got enough pace to be right up there with them from the get-go over seven furlongs. You like the same two horses that I do, so I'll just jump in and go. <laughs> My fear about Speaker's Corner is maybe, you know, he he's done... He's done his best work on the lead. I think he might be better suited by stalking and pouncing in this spot. And it's going to be hard because he's got speed to his inside and he's got potential speed to his outside. I guess that's my little bit of a concern from looking at this race from a pace standpoint. But you made the key points to me, Naomi, which is when you look at figures and crucially when you look at form and you see those last two names in the, in the form lines that have beaten him and we know what they're capable of, he mm -hmm. might just be different sauce. I'm going to go with Speaker's Corner as well. And I feel like Laurel River is a little bit interesting to, to maybe keep enough uh, gas in the tank to stick in there and go along with him. I just, I don't know that, um, I don't know that the closers are going to have enough uh, opportunity to get involved with the, with, with the quality of speed that's signed on here. But very curious to hear what our other guests have to say. And we'll start with the usual co-host from Horse Players Happy Hour and a man who you know from his own eponymous podcast, TV's. Matt Bernier, are Naomi and I making this too simple as well? No, I mean, unfortunately, I'm echoing a lot of the same thing. Speaker's Corner is a good horse. I, I do fear that maybe his form's going a little bit the wrong way, despite the fact that the figs don't necessarily uh, reflect that. Laurel River is the one I'm probably most interested in, but uh, this is going to be a bit of a cop-out because I hear a lot of people looking at Speaker's Corner. I think Laurel River is going to be a bit of the wise guy horse in here. Uh, you know, I thought American Theorem was really good, really good in that last race, and you look at his one-turn record, if for whatever reason he's, you know, I haven't seen a morning line. I don't even know if it's out yet. Five to two, somewhere thereabouts. Four to one morning I, line. He's four? Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, then he's the pick. American Theorem. He was he was just so good in that last race. There wasn't a ton of pace. Uh, Bravo lost the stick at one point. Didn't make a difference. You know, I just, I, I thought he was really, really strong in that spot. It feels like Papa Padromo's got him as good as he's ever been. And he's always been a good horse. Um, those are the three that I was most interested in. Again, Laurel River, I think, is going to get overbet. Uh, and Speaker's Corner, sure, he could certainly win. I just think maybe his best days are not, I don't want to say they're behind him. I think maybe he's going the wrong direction for this form cycle. I'll go with American Theorem. 
American theorem is an interesting one because this is a case you, you see once in a while and it leaves you scratching the head. I feel like he was on the right part of the racetrack maybe last day, but the flow should have been against him and he made it look like it was no problem at all. And if you do take that race at face value, there's a real case to be made for him. I was sort of thinking he might struggle to get involved on, on dynamics this day, um, but you make a compelling case for him, Matt. Why don't we bring in our third guest who knows, uh, who's watched a lot more uh, Del Mar, I think, probably than the rest of us. She's got a flower pot. Or is that one of those? I wanted to have a microphone like Matt Bernier's. (laughs) (laughs) What is that thing right now? The world's biggest neti pot. It's this one, no? But with like a little different. Similar. Yeah, Matt's, Matt's look like this. Like, it looks like he's talking into this right now. Does <laughs> my sound better like this? What if I aim it? Right? The echo is it's louder. Really- it's louder. Anyway, she's Michelle Yu. What's going on, Michelle? Tell us about this race. All right, so I was not an American Theorem fan going into the Bing Crosby personally. I think that he was just a hit-or-miss type horse, and I think that things set up for him really well in the triple bend. But Matt was right. The way he won the Bing Crosby, he was, to quote Trevor, moving like a tremendous machine. I mean, or not Trevor, what's his name? Uh, I mean, that's what he looked like, though, right? He was moving so fast that everybody else was standing still. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just giving. I was I was struggling with with the name, but isn't it Chick Anderson? Isn't that the isn't that the, the might the have been the famous TV call? Yeah, yeah. The famous TV call of Secretariat. Okay, so Trevor's moving like a winner, but you know that. Yeah, I, but I at the time I'm like not a winner. Tremendous machine is what he looked like to me, right? With his big white tail flapping behind him, and I was like damn, he looked good. And I'm not a fan. So for me to say like he looked good, it made me like second guess. Now, all that being said, I don't think I want to play him on top because for him to get three in a row, he'd have to like improve again. And I feel like we've kind of seen the ceiling of what he can be. So um, I kind of like the funded in here for Baffert. He's eight to one on the morning line. He's going to take the blinkers off after back-to-back starts with them on. I love a horse on a turn back, especially going this distance, which is this challenging seven furlongs. This horse is sharp. He's worked 111 and change a couple times in the morning. Um, so I just feel like, you know, he, we know he's going to get that. He is coming in off efforts where he was speed and fade. Um, now he's probably not going to be in the front end because his 46 is not going to cut it here against some of these that can go significantly faster. But I just think that if he's going to be close to that price, I'm going to play him because just because he was going 47, you know, a mile and a 16th doesn't mean he doesn't have it in him to go faster. And we'll have to wait and see what Baffert's going to, going to play with here. But I, I actually prefer him to Laurel river. I'm not just, I'm just not a huge Laurel river fan, unless you're looking at him because he's gorgeous he's just kind of like a blah blah horse to me um my for sure i'm gonna be betting on the two principe carlo 15 to 1 this is like my heart horse i loved him when he was in our barn he has been so good since he had a a really big layoff and liberato's done a good job with him I'll, i'll tell you his bing crosby and his california sprint he doesn't like he doesn't like six furlongs stop running in six furlongs okay he needs to go further so for me like the six and a half is okay the seven i think is even better you saw if you went back and watched the triple ben i mean he was balls to the wall there and just got beat by american theorem and we're talking about a cowbred son of coil here right like it's not like he's bred to be a champ he is so tenacious i feel like he's relatively versatile I would say the only drawback for me in this situation, I don't like Victor riding him. 
I feel like he needs a little more aggressive ride than Victorism. I actually really liked when Maldonado rode him. So sorry to all you Victor people out there. Uh, but I am totally going to bet Principe Carlo coming back here because of the distance scenario. And he should be like a pretty big price. And if he just hits the board at this big price, I'll be really happy with him. One of the fun things we do on Horse Player Happy Hour for those. This talk crap players. about Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit of that that goes on when you're on the air. Race calls, that goes on. But we also like to ask questions uh, or, or answer questions from the audience. Rob wants to know, does he like to go six furlongs? <laughs> does he? <laughs> And then in a more serious note, um, Jackson has an interesting run, run by you all. Um, if this thing melts down, any shot for Senor uh, Buscador to get a Trevor Denman just dropped in at the quarter pole. Uh, no, Senor Buscador, he only beats like horses like Cowan, who were horses that everybody else beat as well. Um, if you want to hear a good interview, though, we interviewed his owners on the owner's box last year. Uh, so they're really and funny. They're yeah. Yeah, send that on Twitter and we'll we'll amplify it. I don't know so, how to find stuff, Pete. It's you like your that's your job. I just All right, I'll find it. Jeez, <laughs> yeah. I do everything around here. I know. Right. Yeah. If, if no, if someone's gonna pick up some pieces, it's gonna be the chosen Ron. I'm all about some calbreds in this uh, yeah. in this open stake right now. The chosen Ron looked so good in the Cal Dream and last time out. He was coming off a layoff. He'd never run on grass, although he is relatively bred for it. Um, and it was going farther than he'd been in a long time. I liked him in that race. He got beat by horses that have been running with recency. So I think he could absolutely improve. I like the turn back in distance for him. Uh, the chosen Vron is the one. If, if everything sizzles in front of him and for some reason can't stay the seven, uh, the chosen Vron picks him up. If you're watching uh, or, or listening on the Players Podcast, uh, we are going to go to a break. And if you're watching with us live, we have more winning you're in action to talk about in the form of the grade one sword dancer, and Matt, I'm very curious to get your opinion about this really interesting, to my mind, Aiden O'Brien Invader Broom. I think you, like me, looking at a lot of these New York turf races at the graded stakes level, you long for some strangers to come in because the form's a bit tired. There are some angles and some things you can point out, certainly, about the local contingent. But I feel like Broom has proven to like USA conditions and, and might take a lot of beating in this spot. What do you think? Well, you know, the, the tough thing is, to your point, like, th th these horses in New York, they just take turns beating each other. You know, I'm, I'm not blown away by any of them. I guess Adamo maybe is the, the freshest face of them all. So I immediately just said, well, Broom's going to win. And for whatever reason, right, wrong, or indifferent, Nick Luck is burned into my brain. And I know what he thought of Broom for a long, long time. And for him to be the only <laughs> European here, despite the fact that he finished second in the turf last year, um, I've said it, I don't think it was a very good you know, addition of the Breeders' Cup turf. I don't know. I mean, if, if it's not him, I, I think it could be anybody. You know, uh, Trebuvin was setting a, a pretty legitimate pace in the UN. I don't know if he's a true mile and a half horse. Uh, the rest of them, you know, is it their turn? Maybe. I, I don't know. They just take turns beating each other. I, I, I don't love the race. Put it that way. I don't have a strong opinion. It's it's tricky. It's tricky. I think, I mean, I, I mean, I think, Nick is reacting to some of the hype around this horse, right? I, I, I think that that's – I think when you evaluate it on its merits, when you evaluate the race on its merits and look at Broom for how he fits against this group, it's a little different than thinking about Broom being, you know, a top 
not that he isn't the stallion prospect, but you know, look, trying to position him as some top stallion prospect. That's that's what I that's how I would uh, address that one. What do you think of Broom Naomi? I I never really bought into him that much, to be quite honest. So I, when you were saying, oh, you know, Nick Lock, I'm like, I, I my my by all piece of virtue was. I would like to beat him in this. He's going to take some money. It's Aiden O'Brien. I know Aiden O'Brien had said after the hard week that he really turned a corner. He's back to his top form. And, and you know, if you look at who he ran against in the, in the King George, of course, pile driver, uh, the arc winner, Trocato Tasso, Mishrif, he was out of his depth. This is a completely different group. Much easier, but all means and virtues. And he could outclass them. Now, the only case that I actually could make for him here is that Ryan Moore will have to get really clever and make sure that he's up close enough because I don't think they're going to go that fast over a mile and a half on the turf here. I've seen it before. I do think that Ryan Moore is the kind of rider, if he believes that they aren't turning in this into a stayers race, a.k.a. they're not going, he's going to make a move. He's going to move forward. He's going to put this horse in a position that he can actually win. So I'm kind of banking on Ryan Moore here. have Broom in my top three, but I am trying to beat him. And I think this is Aiden O'Brien's fourth try at winning this race, and he's never won it before. Didn't he win this race? I mean, it was you have to go way back, but... Uh... I don't um, know. My, my brain. I looked it up. <laughs> oh, you definitely. You look. It's, yeah. It wasn't just a formulator stat. This is embarrassing that I can't remember. The Japan word. close second in <laughs> last year. But he. Uh, I, never mind. I'm clear. If you looked it up, I'm wrong, and I'm thinking of a different. Well, it was like the press way. release, and it said, "What was it? Idaho six in 2017, Seahenge ninth in 2018." Japan second in 2021. You know. I mean, it, by the way, sensing a theme when you hear those names. Very much like meh, they're fine. No, yeah. You know, right. you're taking a sh- you're taking a shot. Not not the A level. No, no. Right. no, as the ones that ship not at the end of the year rare rarely are. But who's your alternative? Who do you think is going to get the job done? I'm actually I, I want I want a bit of a long shot in here. I think twelfth woman right now in the ten mirror mission. Just because I I feel like why not go with a long shot in here? I believe it's wide open. This is this is, okay. There are a couple of ifs. It's a four-year-old gelding, first time going this long, but he is by Noble Mission. Noble Mission, full brother to Frankel, won three group ones himself, including over this trip. So I'm hoping there's a little bit of stamina in here, but I'm going back to that Turf Classic race where he just got bested by Santon, who then came back to win the Arlington Million with a 106 Bayern. That was over around eighth on the turf. I think they just, perhaps that mile of, of Saratoga when he came back from a break, not entirely... You know, it wasn't his day. I don't have particular excuses for him, but I'm thinking, why not try him longer? He's shown he's got some class. He was close enough to Tribuvan. Is that how I, that's how I say it? Tribuvan? Tribuvan? Uh, it, Tribuvan? It feels like there's 14 different ways I've heard. Okay, I, I say Tribuvan, but he was close enough to him. Tribuvan was going pretty fast over that mile and eighth there, all red-coated time for him. US and then he kind of made a move into it, got eyeballed by Santa. The two of them ding dong to the wire, just got bested. But I thought that was a huge run. If Mirror Mission can run back to something like that, I think a 12 to 1, he's a horse that I, I want to be a part of, especially perhaps picking up a placing. If he doesn't win, because of course there are some other horses in here that you could also make a case for, but because there are a couple, I want some value. I can't blame you for wanting to reach for a price in a spot like this. I mean, Adamo deserving favorite very impressive the last day but is this a horse 
that I really want to take three to one, five to two on. Not really. I think I'd rather roll my dice with the idea that Broom, the stranger, is, as you suggested, Naomi, maybe just the class of the field. Michelle, what are your thoughts on uh, on the sword dancer? Um, have you had a chance to, to dive deep into this one or give give us a sort, sort of an overview of where you are with the race and what stands out to you? Uh, it's, it's a turf race at Saratoga, right? It is. I'm, I'm just going to bet Chad Brown. <laughs> but which one? I mean, oh, who cares? All of them. I mean, I don't care. Uh, I gotta say, I have like a love-hate relationship with Mirror Mission because I was desperate for him in the Turf Classic at, at uh, on Derby Day, and oh. he uh, disappointed me. Hit the front where I was like jumping up and down and like peed myself, and then got beat. So really pissed about that horse. Okay, so I don't know if I can even back him against that. I play it in a uh, in like a fantasy league with horse racing and Tribuvin is actually in my stable. So if that pig could win, that would be great. <laughs> like, oh I'm so angry at him. Like, uh, no, I really do. I like I do have him in my stable. He obviously won the Manhattan. Um, I, I don't know if he can win this race. I would love to see him out there winging it. I don't know why he just wings it and then stops. I have not figured him out yet. Um, but you know, again, it's Chad Brown, the grass. So I'll just put him in my blue bucket. I'll just collect all of them. I mean, I don't really have a strong opinion. I honestly didn't look at the race too deeply because I'm off air before this race goes off. Um, but it just seems really safe if I say like Chad Brown and in, in a turf race. I mean, it's not I, honestly, if I'm going to go Brown over broom. Okay. Like for sure. I think that I think broom gets beat by a Brown the, the Tribuvin case that I think is interesting, I don't necessarily buy this, but I think it's interesting, is that actually, even though he was kind of inefficient the last day in the UN, that mm -hmm. he's really better when he just pedal to the metal right yes. from the gecko. If you have speed, goes, don't take it away. Yeah, just go. faster. Like, he went okay fast, but, like, really try to bottom him out and just hope that the way the course is playing, et cetera, mm -hmm. type two turn that you just, that you just go on with it. I wonder, I wonder how, I mean, obviously we know what the tactics are with him, but I wonder within being a front runner, just how fast he'll go. It's not, it's not crazy. I'd like to think that, you know, a channel maker or somebody will make him work. And I'd like to think that Ryan Moore, as we suggested, won't be as far back as he was in that horse's other North American start. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Tell us what, let's do a little recap. What are, what are we all doing work-wise coming up that people should be aware of? Michelle, since you're here on a work assignment, we'll start with you. Yeah, I'm, I will be working for um, Naira. I am on loan from Santa Anita. So I'll be doing uh, a little bit of reporting for Friday and then Saturday I'm on the desk early and then reporting late. Excellent. Matt, what do you have work-wise this weekend and coming up soon? Nothing really this weekend, just a little bit of a write-up over on the, the website. And then uh, next weekend, I'll be up there for Jockey Club Gold Cup. And then, yeah, and then I, I don't have a, a week at home for another five weeks. So that'll be fun. Oh, my goodness. How was, yeah, I'm, I'm looking I'm sure at your wife is thrilled. Yeah, I thrilled haven't had that conversation thrilled. with Susan yeah. yet about how the- I hope you're the, buying lots of gifts. Yeah, I came home with a little stuffed, in, a little stuffed horse from Woodbine. And then I came home and I had a hat. And she goes, did you get what anything you from me? And I said- well, no. What did you? Yeah, what did you, know you want? You know what you should get her next time you leave. <sighs> Someone to come and clean the house, or like have dinner ordered in, or something like that. Yeah. So that, like just something to take off her plate from it's, a I mean, mom with young children. Yes, it's de really it's definitely right. um, you know the seed was planted. You know, that's and I needed scary. that little kick in the rear end to like, hey, there's there's three people here. Just be careful two. if you don't listen. The the kick becomes the other side. <laughs> how, how other than your massive gift fail? How was Toronto? 
Oh, it was great. I mean, you know, Moira's spectacular. Uh, good call by you, but she was, and she didn't go off favored. I think we, that, we were most surprised by that. The amount of late money on Rondor, but um, no, it was fantastic. Great folks up there. Uh, worked with the, the group at TSN and uh, I'll be back again in a few weeks for the Woodbine Mile. Hey, Before wait, Matt, I got to ask you then, since it's all been all, all over social, Moira or Nest? Well, this is what I was going to say. Let's let's expand it one more. I was going to say most impressive, and we'll do this actually in, in, in a roundtable. And Naomi, you can add Spenderella. Absolutely, most <laughs> most impressive performance by a three year old filly last weekend. Matt, you go first. Do we have a hard out first, just so no, we have yeah. anybody I coming mean, after we us? We don't want to go much longer because I got to get over there, but we can do five minutes. So the most impressive performance of the weekend, I think, was Moira. Um, Spenderella, I love her. I love that that versatility, the ability to be up close to the pace. Everyone has already made the comparisons to Teppin. I brought up even Wise Dan, but the idea that you can be close to the pace and still have a kick where the deep closers don't have a chance. They're not going to be able to run you down. Uh, Moira, I guess the unknown is, you know, how does that form transfer to a different surface? Uh, I had asked some folks up there after the race. I said, you know, I get the Canadian Triple Crown. Do you think they would send her to Keeneland? I hadn't even thought about the Cotillion, but I saw that was mentioned as a possibility. I would personally try to go to the QE2 on turf. Uh, I think she's spectacular. I, I said it. I believe it. I think Nest is the best three-year-old in the country um, on dirt. I don't, you know, obviously I have no idea if she's as good as the others on different surfaces. But um, And there's more to it than just the Alabama's not why. You know, it's what she's done in the two races prior including the Oaks. So I guess we want to go three back and then the Ashland even four back. But the, the other problem is I think people are looking at the, the, the speed figure saying, oh, well, that's what she is. The Belmont fig is 10 points too low. I'll go to my grave believing that. Everyone's come back to run 10 points faster. So guess what? The clock was right. That 228 and change, Mo Donegal ran a 107. Nest ran a 105. She came back and ran a 104. Everyone's moved up 10 points. So she's run two races that are faster than any other three-year-old has done this year, boy or girl, except for Charging. I guess he ran one time going a one-turn mile. Yeah. I think she's the best right now. And guess what? She should stay to the distaff. There's no reason to even consider the classic. Stay to the distaff. Well, especially if you see the likes of Flightline and, and Life is right. Good signed on there. It's, it's, not, it's not an ordinary classic. Naomi, let's bring you in for your favorite performance in North America by a three-year-old filly last weekend. I feel really boring and Matt already made the case nest. I made everyone watch it. I said, this filly is better than the majority of the boys in the US right now. That's how good she is. She's just, the way she did it in the Alabama, was it at least four lengths? And she just kind of, you know, like cantered home, you know, no, no care in the world. So to me, she was by far the most impressive performance for a three-year-old filly. I actually wanted to throw in a two-year-old filly that might be relevant to you guys stateside, possibly, most likely actually coming to the British Cup a uh, turf sprint perhaps the platinum queen the two-year-old that took on three-year-olds in the nunthorpe yep. yes she got beaten by highfield princess but it was the first time she went up against elder she nearly got him you kind of think you know alcapulco with wesley ward what was it seven years ago who sent her over she, she also got beat but i thought the platinum queen looked incredibly good and i know that richard Fai is keen on getting her over to keeneland as well so i definitely feel like she's one to kind of put in your book and, and look out for because I, is, I thought she did well that's one that some people are like scratching their heads here not understand you know the, the idea that a two-year-old <laughs> racing against <laughs> in the summer which is something that happens in that race that was a win in your in race for the turf sprint as you point yeah out. but she'll probably go juvenile turf you sprint obviously I mean, but <laughs> i'll make yeah no I'll make she's, the she's case. i'll make the spenderella case real quick 
And it, you have to go with the figure is the figure is low. I think has to be part of the argument that she was the most impressive. But I just thought visually and in terms, I know it wasn't a stellar field, but I mean she just beat them so easily and did so so stylishly that I'm not ruling out the idea of her as a future grade one miler. I just think I think she's the goods. I mean, look, obviously the other two were incredibly impressive also, but I want to make sure uh, that, that somebody makes the case for her to be, uh, you know, tepping light at some point in the future. Michelle, what did you think of Spenderella <laughs> and all the rest? All right. So I think Spenderella was the most impressive three-year-old Philly winner this weekend. Moira was just beating up on a bunch of Canadian breads. I don't even know it was in that field. Uh, Nest, really, I feel like it was the distance of that race. We know that nothing else in her division clearly wants that much ground and she just won it in a canter by half class and half the fact that she loves the distance. I think the, her, the appearance of that blowout might've been just flattered by her uh, affinity for that particular uh, length. Right. And then for me, Spenderella, look, she was really good over here. She went to Europe. I thought she brought her a game. She looked fantastic at Royal Ascot. Um, she ran a bang up race there. And then not only does she ship back to Fairhill, she ships all the way out to California. I think overall the quality of that, of that race was a pretty darn good one. Um, you know, it was a grade one, but sometimes our grade ones could be lackluster. We actually had a full field as Delmar has been doing for the entire meet. Um, and it was a really good field. Uh, she also, did something a little bit different because Kyra memories and that other horse shot out there. So, you know, she came from farther back than she normally did. So to me, she showed that she can handle everything, right? She's gone far. She's come, she's shipped out of her house and every, you know, she's done a lot. And then now she's showing me versatility too. So to me, the most impressive three-year-old winner this weekend was Spenderella. All right. We are, we are out of time. I need to go back to Naomi so she can give us an update on who you were working for at York, where we can look for your stuff soon. And then uh, we, we'll get out of here. Yeah, of course, we'll talk racing to me. So I got the chance to speak with Ricky Hall, who's the groom of Bayid, which was quite wonderful just listening to him, how that horse, how together they've really developed. And perhaps the partnership isn't over, but, you know, we'll see when he returns kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, talk racing to me for sure. Uh, doing part-time stuff with World Horse Racing as of September as well. Hoping to arrive stateside soon, but... Uh, we shall see. So in the interim, cycling around the Netherlands. Kind of <laughs> so, yeah. Any shot of seeing what, what handicap your own chances of making the Breeders' Cup at Keeneland? <laughs> oh, no. I really wish, but um, visa troubles are a pain in my ass and I keep getting no timeline. Um, so a lot of bureaucratic. I really want to go. I, I'd be very upset if I don't go. Leave but... it with me. Leave it with me. I, we got. We know people. We'll, we'll see what we can do. <sighs> it's, it's really, I got yeah. No, it's for sure. Aspen. Maybe I can get you into the USA. We'll see. We'll see what, we'll see, we'll see what kind of rabbits can be pulled out of what hats. Yeah, I also really want to go. Love Keeneland. And actually my first British Cup on air was Keeneland. For, for the British Cup show. So that was a really good memory. There you go. All right. We are out of here. Uh, if you want more of this type of chaotic, hopefully somewhat informative content on the In The Money Media uh, channels, we're going to be kicking off at 6.30 with a live Travers Monster Pod, one guest per horse. It's going to be a total shipwreck, but it's going to be fun. But meanwhile, this hour just flew. What a great team. So happy am I to be able to work with the likes of Michelle Yu, Naomi Tucker, Matt Bernier, Thank you, guys. Travers Week has arrived in Saratoga. One of the biggest weekends of the year will feature seven graded stakes, including the 153rd running of the Grade 1 
$1.25 million run. Happy Travers going to air on Fox from 4.30 to 6 on Saturday. Big Fox. That's what they call it. Big Fox. Fans are also going to get to witness prestigious grade ones, such as the grade one $750,000 Resorts World Casino Sword Dancer, a win in your in race for the Breeders' Cup, and the grade one $600,000 forego. Some of the sport's biggest stars will take center stage at the spa, including Kentucky Derby winner Rich Strike and Preakness winner Early Voting. Join Acacia Courtney, Maggie Wolfendale, Jonathan Kinchin, and the rest of the Naira team as they bring you live racing expert analysis and picks. Anytime you're looking to get what the Fox schedule is for the broadcast, we set up a little pretty link for you in the moneypodcast.com slash TV, or you can find a lot more information at naira.com. Next up on the show, very happy to have assembled a team of players to talk about the Saratoga pick six, which begins in race number six on Saturday, not the last six races, a couple of walkout races after the Travers, but these are two guys I always want to talk to when it comes to all things New York racing. We'll start with uh, the legend, the man, the myth, uh, the best-selling author, one of the best-selling handicapping authors of all time, a man I'm very uh, pleased to say has, uh, has, has had a, a profound impact, giving me opportunities in this business and, and uh, just, uh, just a great guy to have on these airwaves. Steve Christ, how are things? Hey, things are good, Pete. And then we'll go in the opposite direction with a man that I famously, or maybe infamously at this point, plucked from obscurity, who you now see on your television every day if you're watching America's Day at the Races. He's Jonathan Kinchin. What's up, JK? What's up, ETF? I'm, 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 I'm over it a little bit. I'm still a little bit mad at you for making me talk about Cyberknife yesterday. But uh, outside of that, everything's good. I wasn't even going to bring it up. So that's that's what a good friend I am. I, I can't pick who the random number generator gives you to talk about. I could have overruled it, I suspect. But what fun is that? We'll get to that if you want to in a little bit. But let's start off with the race that kicks off the pick six on Saturday. It is race number six. We've got the starter allowance going seven furlongs on the dirt. Steve, we'll start with you. What numbers do you imagine will be on your pick six tickets in this one? Uh, I think two, five, seven, eight locks up the race. Um, the, the par for this kind of a race, uh, these starter allowance races, it's uh, somewhere in the low to mid eighties, 82, 83. Those four, uh, horses are the only ones in the race who've ever run better than a 75 figure. So to me, uh, the race just separates into those two groups. Uh, my my preference among those four uh, that I mentioned uh, would be the eight Looney Sema. Uh, I think the race sets up for a closer. There's some suspect speed and it's seven eights. Uh, so if I had to pick one, I'd pick Looney Sema. But all four of those will be on my ticket somewhere. I'll chime in because I'm basically just uh, accidentally copycatting you here, Steve. I thought Looney Sema would get the best setup, the eight runner. The other one I was mainly interested in was the five Balthazar, who I thought had a chance to be the best speed. And I like that draw for a, a, a feel like that's the outside most of the main speeds. Speeds, meaning maybe a stock and pounce trip is an option as well. Mainly eight and five for me. But I mean, I think you're right on figures you meant to back up with the two seven at least. JK, is it as simple as uh, Steve and I are making it sound here to kick things off in the pick six? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've kind of found that these starter allowance races are sometimes the most formful, you know, because these horses qualify for the condition when they were horse A and now they're horse B and they're, they're different horses, they're different animals, they're faster, they're better, all of these things. And so 
it, you know, it, it felt like to me that this was a, a, going to be a formful race. I completely agree with the four horses you guys mentioned. The one that I'll kind of add probably because I think I'm going to have some skinnier opinions, uh, obviously, as we get a little bit later. Um, but I thought that the uh, four, no, excuse me, the three, Letty was interesting. The horse first time, Linda Rice, you know, she hasn't been having a Linda Rice type meet. But this horse kind of feels like one that could take a step forward for her. She she claimed the horse for 25. The horse ran right on that kind of cusp of being into that 80 figure uh, that, that Steve was mentioning. And she showed a ton of early speed in that last race, or he did, excuse me. And I just feel like maybe there's a horse that with a couple of uh, tinkerings could be in that, in that category with these horses. So I'll spread in here just because I feel like a lot of these horses look exactly the same. It's not one of those uh, allowance races that has a standout. Let's move on to race number seven, an allowance race on the grass, going five and a half on the turf. JK, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to, you know, Maxwell Esquire is, is always dangerous in these in these turf sprints. They tried to stretch him out last time. That didn't go well. So I think that this one will appreciate getting back uh, to the shorter distance. And then Casadero is one that I'm interested in. He, you know, he showed a ton of talent. Let's not forget, Casadero was the horse that probably the last horse Maybe, maybe the last horse. I should have looked this up. It was maybe favored in front of Jackie's Warrior. Uh, no, I think life is good, maybe. But um, Casadero was 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 impressive as a two-year-old and then just never really kind of found himself. But maybe he'll find a new home with Brendan Walsh on the turf. So I'm interested to see that. There is some turf pedigree um, in there. There's some some siblings that won on the turf. And so Casadero will be one that I'll try to build some things around as well. And then just all like the ones that make sense, right? You know, Ranger Fox, I think is interesting. Charmed is interesting. I'm not going to take a stand in here, but I'm going to hope to catch a little bit of a price with either uh, Casadero or, or maybe they'll forget about Maxwell Esquire. First time gelding as well for, for Casadero. Steve, let's bring you in for your thought on this one and how you're looking to get through. Uh, I, I was looking to lean on on two in here. Uh, Maxwell Esquire, who I just think makes a tremendous amount of sense. He's run at this two other than level three times, and he has two wins in a third. Uh, so I, I, I think, he, he, you know, this race just fits him to a T. Uh, and I was also interested in, in the entry, uh, which is a live oak entry, you know, uh, Mark Cassie and a Mike Trombetta. Uh, I thought the Mark Cassie horse, Old Chestnut, uh, was interesting. It seemed to me, and, you know, races never materialize exactly the way you think they will i thought there was you know seven one-way speeds and two closers in here and i thought that this race could really heat up so i'm looking for either maxwell esquire or old chestnut to run them all down will you have backups do you think oh yeah i mean you know a horse like casadero is is interesting uh there are a couple others who i think might be taken off the pace a horse like charmed I'm not sure if he's quite good enough, but I'll have sort of two A's and, and three or four C's in this race. Gotcha. All right. Well, Charmed, I think, is interesting. That's the one I put on top for another first time gelding angle there. That was part of the part of the case. But if you go back to the race two back, I think you can make a case that this horse really fits with anything that's signed on here and should be a good price. I had a goofy one to throw in that nobody's mentioned yet. The eight battle station. I thought actually ran okay last time, chasing a loose leader, stuck on well enough. And in a race where so many of them have a last race figure with a decline, this was one of the few that I, I'm pretty sure is improving, or at least I can make you a case that's improving. I don't know if the race is going to be run to suit. 
I don't know if he's good enough, but in a don't like to get beat in a spread race by a 10 to one that I can tell a story about. So I'm going to have some eights on my tickets as well. And as for my backups, you know, as many as I can afford of the ones that you guys mentioned, let's move to race number eight grade one stakes action in uh, the Jerkins Memorial seven furlongs on the dirt. Of course, JK, I'm pretty sure the first time we talked about Jack Christopher as a likely winner of this race was all the way back in October after the champagne, when we were just talking about how far he wants to go. And it may have been you who basically uh, predicted the future saying, Oh, they'll stretch him out. And if that doesn't work, they'll cut back and win the jerkins. Do you still feel that way? I wish I had a, I wish I would have had a future wager when I said that. <laughs> uh, You'd be better than the been... six to five you're going to see on Saturday. I'll tell you that. <laughs> or, or the four to five. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I still believe that his Woody Stevens is the best three all performance we've seen all year from both sexes. Um, now it was around one turn. So in this derby focused world we live in, that doesn't feel as, as, as cool to some people, I think, but to me, it still feels pretty darn cool. And, and, and I just, you know, I, I thought he was going to stretch out and I'm still not convinced that in the right scenario, he couldn't stretch out. It just, that wasn't the right scenario for him in the Haskell when he kind of moved in the middle of that show in the middle of that race. So, um, you know, I think if he shows up, he's a foregone conclusion. If for whatever reason, he's just not the same horse or that took something out of him or he hasn't been training well or something that I can't predict is the only thing that I think gets him beat. You can try to get creative in here, I think, but I think it might be a fool's errand to try to beat this horse. So in terms of the pick six, is he a stone cold A or will you play both scenarios? Will you play 80%, 90% through Jack Christopher and then have some alternatives? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a world in which I'll have one ticket with actuator on it, but that's more of a sentimental situation because black type thoroughbreds and Jake Ballas that I, I don't, but you know, he's going to have to take a step forward and Jack's going to have to take a step back. I don't like playing situations where I need a good horse to run poorly and a lesser horse to run better. It just doesn't, those, those things typically don't match up. For those that don't know, Black Type, of, you know, longtime sponsor of the show, Jake, a good friend of both of ours, an actor, a cool horse. He just looks like he's running into a bear in this spot. Um, if I do take a little bit of shot against Jack Christopher, I'd probably go in the direction of the horses coming out of the Amsterdam, Accretive in particular. How about this horse's upside? Ran really well the last day, just his second start. Gunite, I'm not quite sure where that came from, but if you take that form literally, he fits too. I might do that sort of 80%, 20% idea with most of it rolling through Jack Christopher, but have some backups going with the eight and the nine. And what the heck, I'll throw in uh, Actuator as well, just because I, I don't want to hear about it for the rest of my life if that horse goes and wins and I didn't have him on a ticket. Steve, give us your more objective than our assessment of this year's Jerkins. Uh, I happen to agree with JK that if Jack Christopher makes it to the starting gate, He's the winner. Uh, he is just on a different plane from these horses. No knock on Gunite McCreative. The Amsterdam was a, a nice race. And in most years, you know, would make both of them big threats to win this race. I just think Jack Christopher is a ton better than these horses. Uh, his Woody Stevens was spectacular. Uh, he's something special. And my breakdown would be more like, 95% through him and one ticket, you know, just in case I'm right in every other race, um, 
you know, you, you hate to pass up those pick sixes where, and we saw it recently uh, where, you know, uh, you get five A's and one goofy horse uh, like Chi-Town Lady, uh, you know, last time. And you get a nine or $10,000 pick six with kind of five free squares. So yeah. I will have one ticket uh, using Gunite and Accretive. Other than that, it's all Jack Christopher for me. Next up, the grade one personal ends in a mile and an eighth on the dirt for these four and up fillies and mares. <coughs> this is like the classic case of short field, but long on talent. Steve, who's going to win it? Uh, I think either Clarier or Malifat will win it. I I don't think Latruska is the same horse that we've been watching uh, for the last couple of years. Uh, she doesn't get out of the gate uh, as well as she used to. And I think if, if she gets any kind of pressure these days, uh, she stops. So I'm just using the other two. If Latruska comes back and runs her races from last year, congratulations to her. Uh, but she's going to beat me, and I will just go with Clarier and Malathot. JK, who do you like in here? Yeah, I'm going to uh, – not not similar, but, you know, I, I think both of us are just kind of trying to take a stand here a little bit. Uh, my stand is going to be that I don't think Malathot is as good as she once was. Um, I think she's just kind of taking a step back, and sometimes that can happen with these these fillies and mares. I think Clarier is improving. I think she's currently better than Malathot. I know it's obvious after she beat her in the Shoe V but, and the Ogden Phipps, but I think that she just might be better than her. Um, and they're similar styles, so however the race unfolds, it just feels like Clarier will kind of kind of get the the jump on her and and, and be able to outfinish her. I think search results is a progressive type that you got to consider. Uh, I thought she ran extremely well in the Ogden Phipps and arguably probably ran the best race in the Ogden Phipps. She came back in the Molly pitcher and, and, and you know, took advantage of a, a field that she laid over. Um, I'm going to give Latruska one more shot just because there's been races in her career where she flops and then she comes back and she runs big races. She seems to be training well at Churchill. Um, and I'm going to give her one more shot, just one more. But, but one more shot. So I'll use Latruska search results and Clarier. And then I'm going to probably play this situation where if Malathot wins, I lose. JK hoping the personal ensign is as easy as one, two, three. I'm on the positive case of Latruska because I like the fact that it looks to me like she's been laid out for this since the FIPS. And that was such an unusual scenario where the trainer famously not being happy about search results, really making Latruska work. I don't think they're going to go near her early. I think, especially with the legitimate concerns that Latruska might not be Latruska anymore. She might just get a little too much rope. I'll back up with the three and the five. Let's move on to grade one action in the sword dancer winning your in race for the breeders cup turf going a mile and a half, an interesting stranger in here in uh, number three broom. And then a lot of horses we've talked about a whole lot on this show. What numbers will be on your tickets, JK? Um, you know, this division, I think, is a little bit hungry, right? It's like I, I said on the show yesterday, there's no bricks and mortar anymore um, for us. You know, I mean, I think you have to use a horse like Adamo, who, who's, who's a, a likely contender. But I, I do feel like Broom it could potentially be the type of horse that just could lay over this field, right? His Breeders' Cup turf last year was impressive. He got a fast number that day, uh, and he did it against some, some talented horses like Yabir. So, you know, I think that he's going to be the most likely winner of this race. Uh, I'm officially over uh, the Gufo situation. I said it last time. Uh, I'm divorcing him. It's happened with the court. You know, I mean, and I gave up custody, too. He can just have the kid. Um, 
you know, I don't think Soldier Rising is very good. You know, he was he was all out to win that allowance race. Channel Maker just doesn't seem like the same horse anymore. Um, I think that this will be a race where I take a pretty significant stand with Broom as an as an A type, and then maybe have a, a horse like Adamo just as a B, just for whatever reason, just because I think he's the other one that's okay in this race. And if for whatever reason Broom doesn't fire, um, then you know I want to have Adamo to keep this thing alive. Folks who've been paying attention over on the website have seen some great stuff from our man, uh, Stephen Bonnick, helped out, backed up by our figure translator, Rob Dove, one of the top 10 pro punters in the UK today. He gave the Hardwick run a 103, which uh, I thought was interesting and gave a little bit of perspective on uh, Broom's potential relative quality to this group. I was going to keep it simple. I mean, it's actually exactly the same as UJK, 3-1, and I was going to hope to get out with those two numbers. Steve, how do you see this one? Uh, those are my two A's as well. Uh, I thought Adama's last performance was excellent. Broom on his best day lays over this bunch. And honestly, I, I am so tired of this division of horses. Uh, you know, every big day, it seems, you know, Derby Day, Belmont Day, Travers Day, we have the mile and a half grass race before the main event. And, you know, the rock emperors and tribubans of the world, man, we, we've been watching them for three or four years now. Uh, I, I agree with JK. The division is kind of hungry. I think Adamo and Broom just a notch above what's still going. You will have a bunch of backups, though, I'm intuiting from what you're saying, but very spready. Yeah, I mean, more more like C's, uh, you know, with the two I mentioned, Rock Emperor and Tribuvan. On, on their best days, they can, they can run with the other two, uh, but their best days may be behind them. Let's move on to the race that gives the day its name, the grade one Travers. Sorry, we were supposed to have a whole show just focusing on this. And now we're going to give this short trip at about 90 seconds, but that's the way the ball bounces. Sometimes Steve, who's going to win the Travers. Uh, I, I think your, your winner is going to come from either uh, rich strike epicenter early voting or Zandon. I am not a cyber knife fan. And I think that ain't life grand gilded agent Arturius are just not good enough. I, I love the, the the succinct and uh, and and bold statement there. I'm interested that you're including Rich Strike. What's the case for him? The case for him is that he beat good horses in the Kentucky Derby. He ran a number that's you know good enough to win this race. And you know, people deny it when big long shots win. It was like when my Met Bird won the Derby. Well. He'll never, you know, run a good race again. And then he comes back and runs second in the Preakness, beaten one length by Rachel Alexandra. I mean, just because we didn't see something coming doesn't mean that it was a complete illusion. I'm not going to be shocked if this horse runs his derby again, back at his derby distance. He could win this. If I held your feet to the fire for a top pick, Steve. I would, you know, Epicenter is probably the most likely winner, but he, he's sure no bargain at seven to five. AK, we'll bring you in. I know one horse you're not going to talk about because I know you're not a big believer when it comes to Cyberknife. Who will be on your tickets? How are we going to get paid on this Travers Day pick six? <laughs> I mean, Cyberknife, I like the horse as a four-legged animal. I just can't root for the owner. Um, um, you know, I'm going to single a epicenter just based on the fact that I thought he had a horrible, not a horrible trip, but he had the worst of it in the Jim dandy uh, against two horses that are in this race that I think have shots in this race. So if I feel like 
he beat two horses that are good enough to win the Travers and he did it with a, with a poor setup, then I have to kind of lean on him. He's just a consistent type of horse that just always shows up, always runs his race. And he, he can run from different spots. You know, if he finds himself on the lead, which I don't think will happen, I, I won't be upset about it. They can also take back, make one run. That's just kind of horse he is. Uh, you know, there's two horses, three horses. I, I'm going to use all three of the Chads as kind of B types. Um, you know, I, I know Chad is kind of high on Arturius and he's interested to see how he's going to handle this added distance. He says he's training well. He seems to be training well. So Arturius is one that I'll probably use as well. Um, Zandon people have always, that was my derby pick. I like Zandon. It's just hard for me. Like he, he, he had dead aim on epicenter, didn't run by him, um, in the derby. And then, you know, I thought he had a pretty darn good trip in the gym dandy. Now I don't think that's his style. So maybe you can make a case that take back and make one run might be kind of more his thing. Um, so I don't want to leave him off of tickets. And then early voting is a horse that I've actually kind of come around to. He's kind of my, I don't want to say wise guy. He's a Preakness winner, but He's kind of my sneaky one because he had the best trip, arguably, last time in the Jim Dandy and didn't and didn't really fire. Um, I think he could get brave out on the front end. I think they might be a little bit more aggressive with him than they have been in the past. And if you look at pace figures, it is as weird as this sounds. If you look at if you look at pace figures, um, early voting arguably ran a better race than Jim Dandy, depending on what pace figures you look at. There's the way that that race kind of unfolded. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to give him another shot. And, you know, I, I just, I understand Steve's point. I'm one of those people Steve's talking about that want to, you know, kind of throw away a long shot who wins a big race. Um, I said, rich strike will never win another race. I, I, I stand by that. I just, I don't think he's good enough to beat these horses off a 77 day layoff going a mile and a quarter on a deep and tiring track after six public works, I, I just, he doesn't strike me as that no pun intended as that talented of a horse. We'll see how it plays out on Saturday. I'm team epicenter. And then I will probably be having some backups with Cyberknife just based on that number in case he comes back and repeats that. And then exotics wise, I'm definitely going to have a one way early voting Zandon. I think there's a chance that they, that those two um, sort of just do their thing. Uh, what I think I said early voting epicenter Zandon is the one way exact I want. And then I'm also going to mix a little bit of Gilded Age into second and third with, uh, with the, those horses as well. Guys, thank you so much for your time. Sorry I rushed us along here a little bit, but we've got uh, some folks in the green room and we're just going to wish you Godspeed this weekend. And Steve, we hope to see you up here before it's all said and done. Sounds good. Cheers, guys. Cheers, JK. We'll Thanks. see you on TV. All right, let's just... The Travers is many things. One of them is the second leg of the Betmakers Bonanza, a bonus that connects the Haskell, the Travers, and also the Breeders' Cup Classic in the first version of it. We did have a winner. Authentic made an extra million. We'll see on Saturday if Cyberknife can continue. Just one of the fun innovations from our friends at Betmakers who have now gotten fixed odds betting back in the USA. First time in over 100 years. It's been a big success at Monmouth. Great for horse players. 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote. Fixed odds betting is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands because the odds you bet are the odds you get. You're going to be hearing a whole lot more about fixed odds betting opportunities across the In The Money Media Network and even in this next segment. Next up on the show, very happy to bring in our team that we like to have talking about the Saturday Winterly Pick 5 
at Monmouth from a fixed odds perspective as well as a pool betting one. I am speaking about from in the money podcast.com. Uh, and if you're only listening, you're missing out on the full Astros regalia that we're being treated to. One of the one of my favorite jerseys in, in the history of sports, honestly, the rainbow. Um, Nick Tamaro, what's going on, man? Doing great, my friend. Just a few miles away, and uh, unlike normal. So very, right. very much looking forward to this big weekend. And then we also have a man who hails from even farther away than, uh, <laughs> than, than Houston uh, from Betmakers. It's Dallas Baker. Dallas, what's up? Ah, mate, I actually uh, did a bit of traveling yesterday and the day before and did travel through Houston and spent four hours sitting on the tarmac there. So <laughs> You're an honorary Houston awesome experience this week, Nick. Thanks for the hospitality at the airport. <laughs> hey, Texans are welcome, welcoming people. I guess Absolutely. it's Houstonian. You call someone from Houston a Houstonian, not a Houstonite. Okay, Houstonian. I got it right now. Um, we heard in the ad that we played right before this about the Betmakers Bonanza. I assume yeah. – does that make clear who you're rooting for? You're rooting for Cyberknife to oh, absolutely like, the head of the classic? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we got great excitement out of when Authentic did what was almost the impossible in the uh, the first year we did the Manansa Pete, which was the um, uh, Haskell into the Derby, into the Breeders' Cup. And, you know, when we when we started that series, it was almost like how, you know, the, the effort to try to keep a horse up to win those races, let alone, let alone being good enough to win those races, seemed impossible. But Authentic... Um, you know, the history books show that it, it did the impossible. So I think it's a, I don't think it's easy, but it's an easier sequence than what Authentic had to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Cyberknife, um, by winning the Haskell, um, he now is two races away, only two pretty easy races away. Just got to win the Travers and they just got to win the Breeders' Cup Classic. Nothing, you know, you just do that walking around the block, don't you? But yeah, so, but, he, but the good news is the, uh, the Bonanza is alive and well and, uh, Cyberknife is sitting there as a very good chance to be winning the, the second leg and go on to the, the Breeders' Cup Classic and hopefully emulate Authentic because that uh, creates a great deal of excitement for all of the folk at, um, at, uh, at, at Monmouth Park and, uh, you know, and obviously an extra little bonus for the owners to um, if they could pull off that, which is uh, huge in itself, but an extra million if they can. I think, and Nick, tell me what you think about this because there also might be a lesson related to the conversation we had earlier in the week about field sizes and what we talked about early in the year about trying to get more horses racing in the triple crown races. I feel like the bonus actually might be a non-zero uh, factor into why they're choosing this spot over a race like the Pennsylvania Derby. I mean, is there, is there a lesson potentially, could I, do, am I grasping at straws with that? And is there a lesson to be learned about trying to come up with some creative bonuses or purse incentives to get the top horses racing against each other in the top races in a way we think can really help elevate the sport? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think especially in a year like this where we've seen such a, a low level of participation in graded stakes races on dirt, we have to be looking at any incentives, uh, any any things that could get more horses to the post. I mean, no doubt about it. So I think uh, I think this one specifically has to do with bet makers. And that's that's the story that I'm going to s- stick to. Uh, kidding. Uh, and, and all kidding aside. No, I think it has everything to do with it. I think that under normal circumstances, I think this horse would have been sent straight to Pennsylvania. I think, you know, you've got to try and you're drawing live for a million. You've got to try. Right. It, there's no reason not to. And um, and the other thing is that, you know, he could also put to bed the divisional honors if he wins this race more than likely with three grade ones. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a great point. Uh, and I, think that's part of, I think that's part of a broader discussion, Pete, about um, obviously we've been over here pushing the fixed odds, Barrow, but I think there's so many different ways that the, U- the U.S. racing industry can improve. 
cooperation between the tracks would be just amazing. And if you can get tracks, I mean, look, we're, we're talking absolute top end with a bonus like that. But then if you can bring it into having a circuit around with, you know, the tracks that are closest to each other and then creating even a smaller circuit for lesser horses as well. Like, you know, horses that are usually running for 50000 that you might put a, you know, a hundred or $150,000 bonus on a series of races for that specific class as well too. But Love that. Also too, like, you know, the less is more thing is um, really, I think, a discussion the industry needs to take because we're seeing it at Monmouth now by having these four days of racing and essentially all you're doing is thinning out the fields across the other three days. Um, it, and, and I was speaking to a, a pretty switched on official during the week that has tried, you know, modelled it out and shows that it's actually returns more money if you run less races, you know, because you have better quality races, obviously the cost of racing. And also, too, I think the key point in it, into it is it creates greater return to the horsemen as well, too. So by having it, having it a little bit more refined and, you know, condensed into better racing, which, it, which obviously it equates to, actually is the, the bottom line is better for the horsemen. But I know, I know it's, I know it's hard, and the obvious thing is to think that the more races you run, the more positive. It's counterintuitive. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely counterintuitive. And I think horsemen default to shorter fields are better for me because I'm going to win a higher percentage of the time mathematically. But I'd love to look at that modeling and maybe even yeah. have that person on the show because I think it's a, it's a key point, and we need to start looking at this right. And, of course, you didn't say the obvious, but I'll chime it in. What, what's better for horse players is obviously what you're oh, Absolutely. Well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because I mean, I, I, racing. I think it's a pretty pretty rusted on um, statistic that say somewhere between twelve and fourteen horses in a race is the optimum, the optimum uh, number of horses for uh, maximum turnover. So I mean, and, and we're a long way off that average in the US. So I mean, you know, getting that average is not easy, but that's that is the optimum level of um, handle for um, for racing. So um, you know, I mean, if you can start working towards that first and foremost, I think then the result, the returns are going to be a lot better. We're going to dive into this. We'll, we'll kind of speed round here. But obviously, Monmouth, uh, excellent track to be playing. If you're playing Saratoga on uh, on Saturday and you want action between the, the – the, there's still a long time between post times. With that, That's part of why it's the early start, the late finish. So I think folks are going to want to be looking at our other, uh, our other tracks, Monmouth and Woodbine. We'll start with Monmouth and the win early pick five. It's usually the earliest – pick five in the nation not so on saturday with the super early traverse start but it's still uh, a good way to get things uh to, to keep things cooking and, and keep the action flowing on traverse day this starts at 12 15 two-year-old allowance race you don't see that many of those anymore five and a half on the dirt let's start with the prices dallas who did you make the favorite in here yeah well Mule, pretty obvious favorite pete about two dollars sixty or three or, or two dollars sixty or around about the three to two mark uh, ahead of Roll Again Dancer, $3.60 or 5 to 2. Um, bright forecast, a little bit longer than that, $3.70, a fat 5 to 2. Uh, and the only one under double figures is number 5, Caught and Collected at 7 to 1 with Paco Lopez on it, or eight or $8 in the decimal language. For Wild Mule, the favourite, are you with or against, Nick? Yeah, I think with. This horse was a pretty impressive debut winner during a barrage of wins for Isaac Castillo. Back on the 2nd of July, that was against New Jersey Breds. And I think Jerry Hollendorfer is just being conservative. This is a horse that really isn't worthy of a stakes try, even against Jersey Breds. So going to a logical spot, first time against winners, he looked like he'd be pretty tough to handle. Rolligan Dancer ran in a live race, two starts back. That was won by Great Navigator, who, of course, came back to run second in the Sanford. Um, the runner-up in that race, Eya, came back to took a pretty 
took a pretty awful beat at Saratoga yesterday, looked uh, home and cooled out at about the 16th pole, and then ended up getting nailed right on the wire. I would use Wild Mule as an A and Rolling Dancer as a B. All right, let's move on to race number two, where we've got $40,000 maiden claimers on the turf going a mile and a 16th field of eight scheduled to head postward. Nick, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, I'm a little intrigued here by the four office etiquette, getting in light with Matty Rowland on board, just carrying 108 pounds, which I don't try and put a whole lot of emphasis on these weight breaks, but this is one that's pretty significant. I mean, he's going to be getting 10 plus pounds from the majority of his rivals here. And I do think you're going to see a lot of money go to a horse like Strasburg, who doesn't have turf form. And, and obviously, you know, it's a guess as far as whether he'll take to the lawn. Tap the candy's the horse to beat, has the right kind of tactical speed. I think when all is said and done, I'd be comfortable having the two, four, and six. And uh, I'm sorry, the one, four, and six, because the one looks like the inside speed. And um, But I'm, I'm going to mainly play the four in terms of anything uh, vertical. All right, there you go. Four, six, and one for Nick in race two. How does the market look for Nick's selection, office etiquette, and all the rest, Dallas? Well, well those following Nick will be cheering for the one. It's a 30 to one chance on our market. Nick, is that all right with you? Fine with me. <laughs> Yeah, all right. So uh, Destiny Joy's 30 to 1 and our actual rank outsider in the race. Uh, Favourite is Tap the Candy, who uh, you only sort of briefly mentioned there. $2.80, 7 to 4 in my language, um, $2.80 decimal. Um, ahead of Strasbourg, obviously, with that query on it, keeping it a bit safe at 3 to 1 or $4. And Office Etiquette, which Mick mentioned as well, is 5 to 1 or $6. Where, where, where did you land on Strasbourg? Not not in your final reckoning of tickets. Did you have something against him, Nick, or did I write it down wrong? No, I don't love the the uh, setup here going to the turf. Union Rag's a very low percentage turf sire, um, and this is a horse who I think they've just mainly thrown their hands in the air, dropping in class, looking for a different surface. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that three to one could easily become 10 to one too, if there's no money for it too, Peter. It's just one of those things where you've got the, um, that sort of doubt in it, keep them a bit safe early, see what the market goes. And if there's no real market signal for it, it'll get, it'll get chased out pretty quickly. Race three, two-year-old maiden special weights going five furlongs on the dirt. Another field of eight on the morning line. Global surprise is your five to two favorite. Is that how it looks on fixed odds, Dallas? No, a lot shorter, mate. Avila is the most dangerous stable at Monmouth by about a hundred yards. I know, like you've got stats that people train winners or whatever, but I can tell you the uh, the most dangerous trainer at Monmouth is the Avila stable this season. Uh, so that's six to four in our or three to two in uh, the fractional language, two dollars and fifty cents um, ahead of Box and Ben at three to one or four dollars. Four to one or five dollars for recruiter number two, and um, the other Avila horse in the race, El de Cherel, is five to one, along with Evie's Candy at five to one or six dollars in decimal language. Which numbers will be on your tickets in this uh, hinge leg of the early pick five? Nick? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. So it looks like the better workouts are with Global Surprise on the Avila pair, but the better pedigree is El de Cherel, who is a half to Lori's Rocket. And Greeley's Rocket, both of whom were, were stakes winners. Uh, the dam herself was stakes placed at Monmouth, ran second in the Incredible Revenge as a four-year-old. The experienced horses here don't look like much. So the tricky thing from a pick five perspective is how do you bet into a pool where you're really trying to figure out how much action the two, five, and seven respectively are all taking. So that's the the, the difficult portion of it. I'll take the five and seven. I'd use the four a bit as a backup. Little green on debut should improve at uh, second asking. And the two as well. I think Cal Lynch is a pretty dangerous trainer. 
No doubt about it. And um, I can I'll guarantee you one thing: the the, the Avila runner that's ready in our book will be will beat the other Avila runner home. <laughs> yeah. You've been good. You've been good at that, that game. Yeah. What's that? Sorry, mate. You've been good at that game. When yeah, they yeah. Up. Well, they've been, they've been very good at that game. I can assure you. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, re, they're very. It's as I said, it's been they're the most dangerous stable, and they've got most things right. One thing you can do is, and and to maybe give you a clue, I don't know when they're betting Dallas, but if you go to the website, the Monmouth Park Bets website, mm-hmm. you could you could maybe ahead of time get a little bit of signal as far as that goes. Yeah. And, and in any case, it's just a useful reference for horse players to see, you know, the morning line's great and all, but how about a line that people are actually taking bets on as, yeah. as, as a tool to use just as a horse player, even in your, even in your pool betting. Um, when, when does that stable money typically turn up? Yeah, generally Pete, uh, and this is, you know, just a bit of a motherhood statement, but generally the, the, the teller machines on Monmouth open up about half an hour before the first race or thereabouts and a lot of the a lot of the smarter money normally comes in sort of in that first forty five minutes of betting opening on the day of. Um, we can get we you know that's generally I mean there can be you know good bets the day before or whatever. But if you wanted to if you wanted to nail down a precise time, I'd start looking at it from um, what um, what is the first race twelve fifteen from about quarter to twelve on uh, Eastern time. Um, I'd keep start having a look at that, and then obviously when we when we get the serious bets and we are taking some serious bets at the moment um then you'll see that the market will change so that'll normally mean that that's been a a good bet on it and the website i want to make sure we give it precisely to people if they want to go and and look for this info what is what's the exact url monmouthbets.com and at the moment you need to be in new jersey and a new jersey resident to uh, sign up that is going to change soon pete um we're just sorting out a few of the geolocation issues but um at the moment a new jersey resident in new jersey can uh, sign up for that and use it fully functional betting on monmouth races and for everybody who signs up there's uh free 50 dollars there waiting for you no no strings attached you don't have to deposit anything there's just a free 50 bucks so if you are in new jersey uh, and a New Jersey resident at the moment, uh, give it a try and start betting on Monmouth. But as you said, if not, you can just keep an eye on the prices. And 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 also too, I mean, it's going to be a good guide to where the tote ends up. I can I can assure you, the fixed odds prices are a lot closer to what the tote prices are going to be. You know, up until that you know ten five minute five minute mark out from where the tote pools start getting mature. So if you want to get a good a good idea about where the horse is going to start on the tote, the fixed odds the fixed odds market should window into that as well too. Let's speed round. Um, let's speed round these last couple of races that we're going to talk about today. Starting with race number four, thirty thousand dollar claimer going six on the dirt. Uh, Nick, who do you like in here? I thought the four back at you would be tough. Second off the claim, Jamie Ness's barn. Uh, even though we've heard some negative things about stuff going on in other states, he's continued to hit at a pretty high rate here at Monmouth. I'd probably be using the logicals here: four, five, and six. A Michael Simmons with one whirlwind ride is a dangerous horse. Quick overview of the market, Dallas. Yeah, pretty much. That's the that's the market with the addition of one other. Uh, Ridge point around about five to two, three dollars and forty cents. Uh, back at you, seven to two, four dollars fifty. And the one one that Nick didn't mention at nine to two or five dollars fifty. BB bad ahead of the Michael Simmons runner. One whirlwind one whirlwind ride at five to one or six dollars. Let's move on to so many two year olds today. Another two year old race yes. in race number five in the pay leg. For these uh, two-year-old fillies, maiden claiming $25,000 level, going five. Quick question about that. Dallas, who'd you make the favorite? 
Uh, this is the Nick Tamaro race of the day, the high, wide and handsome, Pete. We love these. <laughs> uh, made it very hard to sort out the favourite. It's really nothing between the top three. Free shot is just favourite at the moment, 3 to 1 or $4, ahead of a fat 3 to 1, a Sirenetta at $4.20. And then at uh, 7 to 2 is Lady Lancer or $4.50. And they're not far away from them as West Virginia Gal at 9 to 2 or $5.50. So, um, yeah, so very little between the top uh, four runners. Nick, who do you like to pay out this win early pick five? Yeah, inside three for me. I thought free shot was pretty pretty interesting, being by Midshipman. Uh, don't love the draw, but this is a barn that's obviously done very well at this meet. And the two and three look like the most trustworthy, experienced horses. That's not saying much, but um, I, would, I would side with them somewhat comfortably. We've got the sapling as the featured race later in race number nine to cap off all the two-year-old action on the day. 200,000 in the pot here, uh, going a mile on the dirt. Nick, give me a quick thought. You know, interesting to see Javier Castellano go down to ride Lost Ark, who, and he's got two mounts on this whole card. Um, you're expecting him, this horse, to run well. Looked like a good debut. Might really need Lasix, which he's able to get at Monmouth. So I'm interested to see where he stands. Same with Vmart, who won a restricted maiden special weight race up here at Saratoga and now stretches out in distance for Juan Avila. So uh, we'll certainly be aware of what's going on there. Two and five for Nick there. What prices did you make those runners and all the rest here, Dallas? Yeah, Lost Dark, a pretty obvious favourite, I think. But this is a great race. It feels like an early season Sydney two-year-old race as they're sort of starting to work out who's heading towards the Golden Slipper. It's, you know, like you've got a couple of form lines with big power wins and all of that. It's great. I feel like I'm back home. Uh, Lost Dark is $3 or two to, two to one and your favourite ahead of Bourbon Spirit. And American Blaze next next in line at four to one, and down the bottom Saloon six dollars fifty uh, in the decimal, and Vmart seven dollars for the Avila Stable or six to one. Great stuff, guys. We'll do it again next week. Uh, Nick, I'll see you over there. Dallas, can't wait to see you soon as well. Lovely, thanks, boys. Sounds great, thanks. We've got a contest to tell you about on Travers Day from our friends at Monmouth Park. You've got to be at Monmouth to play in this one. Just FYI, Monmouth and Saratoga races only, 10 races in total. Brian Skirk is going to have all of the details if you reach out to him or visit the Monmouth Park website in the contest section over at monmouthpark.com. That's not the only contest I want to tell you about. We're getting real close to the Kentucky Downs King of the Turf Handicapping Challenge. Going to be spread out a little bit more this year, which I think will be even easier for players. We want to put this on your radar. The first one is in, uh, in in early September. So to get all the information about this, we've created a pretty link where you can just go ahead and sign up in the moneypodcast.com slash King Turf. So go there and get all the information. We'll, we'll explain everything in much more detail next week. Hopefully we'll get Brian on the show. He's helping uh, our friends at Kentucky Downs run that one. So two contests to know about for this weekend and beyond. Next up on the show, very happy to bring in uh, in a segment sponsored by our friends at RaceLens, RaceLens Power User, Matt Vagvolgi. Matt, how are things? Doing great, Pete. It's a great day. We're on the eve of uh, of Travers, you know, getting ready for that. So good day of racing today. Hopefully, if this uh, rain stays away, although it doesn't look like it, but uh, hopefully it uh, doesn't impact too much. And uh, we look, looks like great weather uh, tomorrow. So in the high 70s, which is fantastic. So I've been to some Travers where I was, I've been in a puddle melting. So uh, it's, it's certainly good weather uh, projected for tomorrow. 
the first thing that came to mind when you talked about evil Travers weather, I hope I have the year right. I think it was 2002. It could have been 2001. The Medallia Doro year, I swear it was in the 50s and raining. Everybody had to buy sweatshirts. It was absolutely freezing that day when he uh, romped home in the mud. But uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, more often than not, it's, it's, a, it's a heat bath. Let's just hope that whatever rain we're getting today isn't going to impact things tomorrow too much. Um, but I'll tell you what, and this is, I said this point in the mama segment, and I mean it even more here in the, in the Woodbine one, there's too much time between races on Travers day. I'm definitely planning on, uh, either finding a, a window, uh, or, or a place that has, um, Woodbine and mammoth on the TV, or just have pulling it up on the computer and uh, making sure that we keep some action going between these Saratoga races and, I will be honest, I, I did not get a chance to do the normal work I do on a Woodbine Saturday, just been underwater with everything going on. But that's another one of the reasons why I thought Race Lens is a great tool to use, I think, when you're a little bit behind the eight ball. And it, it's perfect that we're going to get you to guide us through this card, some spot plays, well, one spot play, and then we'll look at the last four races like we typically do. And, and I'd love if you as much as possible, Matt, can shine a light on how you use race lens specifically to come up with these picks and potentially be a time saver on a day like Travers Day that's potentially, you know, crazy, not just for me, but for a whole lot of horse players when you don't want to miss good opportunities happening at other tracks. You don't just want to punt on everything else going on. So we'll start off, I think you said the second race, which happens at 1.29 p.m. We'll be well into the Saratoga card by then. That That's the first one where something popped up? Yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, you know, it's one of those races. It's it's kind of a you know terrible race, I'll be honest with you. It's just in terms of the of the horses that are in there. But again, I like to, I'm attracted to those because I like to see, you know, is there, is there some kind of angle or something that I can look at specifically, like something, a horse doing something different, something new, you know, maybe there's a, a misfit in there that uh, has some dirtied up lines that could be a price and uh, might get overlooked. And, you know, I th- like I've always said, using race lens, when you create these different angles, they remain there, right? So like you mentioned, Pete, for days where I will be playing, you know, I'll be simulcasting out there. You know, I'll have my uh, my spot in the stretch at Saratoga with screens all around me and, and certainly going to be playing anything and everything with the time in between races. But that's it's one of the things I do every day is just scroll through every track and see if anything pops up that's interesting. I make a note of it and then I go back and handicap that race. So I kind of collapse and react out. Maybe I'll play something multi-leg or maybe I'll just play that race, but that's helpful because, you know, there's a lot of different action. It's hard to go through the form race by race, every track, you know, how much of that information are you actually retaining? Right. Where sometimes when the, you know, interesting stat pops out, um, you know, it makes you look at it. So that's, that's what I'll be doing. And that's why I think it's, it's really helpful to, to get you focused for, uh, for, for the day. Um, and in this race, and that's kind of what happened here is, is looking at, I'm going to look at a, a huge long shot, a morning line, 20 to one on the morning line, looking at the, uh, the four, uh, silent and discreet. And what I looked at here was a horse that, in my opinion, has a lot of pedigree to go long and they've done nothing but sprint this horse, right? So going this year alone, just, just sprinting five hasn't really shown much, uh, to be honest with you, uh, has, has, you know, competed against better in this field, but they finally stretched this horse out. So again, one of the things I really like is the research tab, one click, you can get all the pedigree information that, that you need. And, you know, just looking at it from, you know, the, on the sire side, silent name, you know, this horse has done, you know, as, as a sire tremendously well, when you're looking at, 
these synthetic routes, right? And that's what we're here today. For, and this horse is doing it for the first time. So, um, you know, if, if you look at it on the first time routes on the sire end, out of 77 starters, you know, uh, 16 wins, that's 21%, but a you know, positive 39% uh, uh, ROI. And the median win price is over $11, right? So you're getting prices there. And, and again, a solid percentage on these first time synthetic routes. But if you look at it also over overall for the year, I mean, hitting that 26% just in, on these synthetic routes with a 51% ROI. So those are some of the things that jump out to me doing something different than doing what this horse should do. So I'm going to take a little bit of a shot with uh, silent and discreet uh, stretching out for the first time and uh, you know, maybe getting in at a big price. I like that idea for, for a couple of reasons. One, as you point out, because of that median price, this is not an angle that the market has caught to. But then you get the double whammy good thing of having that darker form doing the wrong thing. So you, you, you really have a couple of reasons to take a little shot there. And you can't you don't have to hit a lot of horses at that kind of price to, to make it worthwhile. So good stuff there. Let's zip ahead to race number seven uh, and talk about this one, a starter allowance for fillies and mares going uh, six and a half um, at Woodbine on Saturday. What did you come up with in here? Uh, I'm going to look at a couple horses. I'll use the uh, the, the five uh, twister alert, which there actually is a twister alert in Saratoga today. So be uh, be careful. Uh, be careful on that. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, I'm going to also look at the four uh, loaded Vixen as well. Uh, a couple different styles in terms of pace. Um, front end speed is I want is good in on these all weather sprints. Not so much on the routes. We'll touch on that in, in a little bit with some future races. Um, so I kind of went with both ends of the spectrum here. So I do like Twister Alert the most. I think there's going to be a pretty hot pace. Multiple horses I think will try for the lead with the four loaded Vixen, I think, being best uh, of speed here. But, you know, Gallardo uh, going to come from off the pace. Uh, won't be completely out of touch, uh, but I think we'll we'll catch a nice trip behind uh, behind speed. You know, top late pace figure in the race. Um, you know, certainly on the, on the trainer side, uh, you know, it's really nice numbers there. So I'm going to go with twister alert as, as my top play, but again, it's possible that loaded Vixen does have enough early speed has a significantly higher early pace figure than, than, than all of them. Again, that always doesn't work out if you have another horse that wants to gun to the lead, but this horse is also like we talked before Pete has proven to go wire to wire, uh, on these sprints. So I'm going to take a shot with, uh, with, with the four as well. I know morning line favorite two to one, but I think twister alert will get some action as well. I like that horse coming off the pace. Yeah, You never have to work too hard to convince me as a horizontal betting strategy, whether you're playing doubles or the pick three, um, in this spot that you want the best speed and the best closer on side the pick four two in in this race while we're at it let's move to race number eight where we've got quarter claimers twenty five thousand dollar fillies and mares three and up going six on the synthetic who do you like in here matt um i'm kind of looked at this on a, on a pace perspective two different ways i think this, it could be pretty slow up front um and i do think the five uh billy jane can uh can get to the lead um you know th this this horse has been running against much better. I think has really been running. Uh, this filly has been running way over her head. And I think finally finds a spot with this 25 claimer um, should be able to get the lead. I think husbands will get the lead. Um, that's what I project. And I think could slow it down on the front end might be able to, to go uh, to go gate to wire here. So uh, Billy Jane at six to one on the morning line is going to be the top play. Um, I'm also going to back up with the two um, super lunar 
just in case, there's a few horses that I think might try to gun to the lead from the inside. I think the one and the three might might pressure the five, uh, Billy Jane, a bit on the front end. If that's the case, I think this sets up perfectly for the two uh, Super Lunar just sitting right off that pace. Even if they slow it down, this horse is going to get going to get first run uh, with Emma Jane Wilson. So, uh, and again, horse that's proven to 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 do this this type of uh, this type of class level has been successful um, sprinting. So, uh, I'm going to go uh, I'm going to go with the five Billy Jane as a top play, but I'm going to back up uh, with the number two uh, Super Lunar as well. We'll move on to the featured race of the day, which is an allowance race for fillies and mares, three year olds and up, going a mile and a sixteenth on the synthetic. Some uh, some interesting some interesting runners in here for for those that uh, follow the circuit regularly. Maybe not the most paced signed on, at least according to Timeform U.S. Pace Projector. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, I do see it a bit a bit slow on on the front end as well. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, it it might quicken a little bit, you know, especially if um, if if the if the three Richie's Noble Girl tries to tries to press the the front end. Uh, with uh, with the two and the five, so I'm in agreement with time form overall slow pace, but I think it could could quicken. But this is where I'm going to single. Um, I'm I'm going to look to uh, to lean on. Is it Lido key Lido key? Uh, the the one I just think sits an absolute perfect trip, um, and has a monster late pace figure. Uh, it's one of those races where this horse is not going to lose touch with the field. I think sits right behind that that front end speed. And again, to give you an idea, so uh, in sprints, you can be successful on the front end, or at least that's what the numbers have shown at the meet so far at Woodbine Sprinting. These all-weather routes are a totally different story, right? It's just, it's very difficult to go gate to wire here. Give me some numbers there for the meet so far. Um, all-weather routes uh, with the horse having the best late pace, hitting at 31% with a 87% ROI. So um Anytime you see this type of setup as well. So that's kind of the number side, right? The quantitative side, the qualitative side of just handicapping this race on a pace perspective, I think sits in a perfect spot. Big punch late. I think it's going to be very, very tough. I love Kamira on this horse. I know I'll get a good, a good spot and a good ride. So uh, that's where I'm going to lean on here as my, uh, my, my lone uh, single of the sequence with uh, Lido key in the ninth. All right. We'll move on to the nightcap where we've got three and up. Maiden special weight fillies and mares going seven furlongs on the synthetic seven furlongs. Does it play more like the routes where you really don't want to wire or more like the sprints where, where it's okay. Or have you looked at it on that granular of a level? Uh, it's interesting. It's kind of a, a, a null stat. There's really nothing either, either way specifically at seven furlongs. Cause I like to do that. I want to see what the, you know, give me the shortest distance, give me, you know, the longest distance, then give me the most data subsets like what do they run the most in terms of their distances and then it looked at you know looked at at seven which usually would play you'd think more play more towards uh, uh the routes but really not much there's really no no lean either way so it's a pretty even in uh results wise in terms of distance so not much in terms of uh speed or or off the pace it's it's kind of uh it's kind of an even style which i found interesting that is interesting who do you like in here um, I, I went with the, uh, so I'm going to use a, a few in here. I'm going to use the five, two and the one, uh, the five menagerie. Again, this is kind of a ho-hum kind of horse. Um, but I do think gets to the right group here. Um, yeah, slightly easier than, than has been running against lately, but I think sits, sits a good trip. Um, I think it might be a little bit hotter than, uh, in terms of pace that, uh, time form is, is signing on for. Uh, so again, could, could get the right trip. Um, has shown to have some um, some late kicks. So again, hasn't been hasn't been successful. 
uh, this year, uh, obviously, uh, in, in the, being in this maiden field, but I think as also as uh, some nice uh, back class to uh, to be the best in here. Um, Northern Passage is another one as well. I, I think uh, I like this horse running on the synthetic uh, more than uh, than the turf tries. Although that last turf try was was pretty decent uh, against Better here, but uh, you know has competed very well uh, in this type of uh, this type of class level at um, at Woodbine on the synthetic. Again, going going seven furlongs, I think is probably best for this horse too. A slightly uh, more distance. Uh, that has been running. Um, also going to use, as I mentioned, the one uh, Tudor, Tudor Peak, just a lightly raced horse, you know, second off a very long layoff. Wasn't much in terms of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the debut effort, but nice effort coming back, you know, came from off the pace, just missed uh, by a little over a length. I uh, do like this horse wheeling back less than 30 days. I always love to see that long layoff coming back and then wheeling right back uh, for another try uh, in, in, a, in a short amount of time. So uh, I think Tudor Peak is interesting. Probably going to be your favorite in this race, but 5-2-1 is how I'm going to try to close uh, close this out, Pete. Sounds good. Now, for folks interested to learn more about Race Lens, you had some news, Matt, about a new place you can find the the, the product. Tell folks about that. Yeah, so the AI-assisted uh, side of the product, the True Odds, which is part of Race Lens. So if you get the full Race Lens package, that's part of it. Again, I like that. It's very simple to toggle through, um, you know, different runners, different pace styles, pace projections. They also give, um, you know, basically their fair value odds based on a number of different metrics. Um, that's available in the handicapping store at Naira. So if you're a Naira Bets user uh, like I am, uh, you can certainly head over there and uh, and check that out uh, and, and pick that up. So very reasonable price for that. Very cheap uh, to pick that up alone. But I always say I think the best is the full is the full gamut is the uh, the full race lens uh, option, which uh, you know, we do have some good uh, good promotions there to, to pick that up as well. I'll tell you about those. The site racelens.equabase.com. That's uh, that's a good screen to go to if you want to sign up for this. And we've got promo codes for new customers, significant discounts within the money. And for existing customers, we have a good one, too. And, and this one, folks should really be taking advantage of if you're already a race lens person paying attention. In the money, 40, the number four zero. I think that gets you like a 40% discount on all new plans. So check it out. The website to go to, once again, racelens.equibase.com. I've been enjoying playing around with it. I want to play around with it more after Saratoga and do some more data type projects. I'll probably be bothering you, Matt, actually <laughs> production meeting in the middle of the show. I'm going to bother you next week. We got a Kentucky downs preview coming up, which I think will be very interesting to look at through the lens of race lens. Good stuff, Matt. We'll, we will be talking soon. Talk soon, Pete. And I'd uh, be remiss. My wife just dropped this off in my office. Uh, I'm kicking, <laughs> kicking off. I'm kicking off Traverse Week very well with a beautiful, uh, with with a with a beautiful Bloody Mary, that's with cool. an assist from the Brentwood as well. The uh, using I'm using their mix as as well. Oh, so that's it off right. That is now that is true love right there, folks. Exactly. A love story playing out right here on the In the Money Airwaves. Matt, thank you so much, and we will be back right after this. Coming up in the show, you're going to hear our baby talk segment where we focus on two-year-old racing. It's brought to you by our good friends at Gainesway. From top international bloodlines to rising stars on American soil, Gainesway has put together a stallion roster that is not only primed for future success, but currently making its mark on the track, led by Caraconti's rising star, Spenderella, who you heard us talking about before in the opening segment of the show. So impressive in the Del Mar Oaks last weekend. Make sure to check out the entire roster for 2022 and see for yourself the power, passion, and performance of Gainesway. You can find more information at Gainesway.com. 
Next up on the show, guy who's been helping us out a lot here at In The Money Media and been really meaning to have him on specifically this segment ever since I met him at last year's Tucson Symposium because he really seemed particularly interested in the breeding side of the business and, and two-year-olds and what that market's all about. And, and I earmarked him then to, to do a baby talk segment with us. And, and today it comes to pass. He was working this summer at the racing office here at Naira. He's back in Tucson at the University of Arizona, helping plan this year's symposium, as well as uh, going to a bunch of classes. Welcome to the In The Money Airwaves that now, Eric DeCoster. What's up, buddy? Pete, hey, doing good. How are you? Things are things are good. Where did your interest in two-year-old racing in general come from before we uh, before we dive in? Yeah, um, I've just you know always been fascinated by bloodstock in in general. So young horses, and then that of course leads right into the two-year-old races. And soon I started to realize, oh, I can actually make some decent money, you know, analyzing them before they even get to the track, and that can be a perfect lead-in. So that's that's kind of been my my forte, my go-to races I look at just on a day-to-day basis is the maiden race to see what value I can find. Cause that's, that's what I've come to really enjoy is it's the hardest puzzle probably to solve in terms of day-to-day races, but it's also the most rewarding uh, if you can hit it the right way. It's fun as a fan and it's fun as a better. And it's, they're the one races where, you know, pretty much always, you know, in theory going into a race who the fastest horses are in a two-year-old race where they haven't run, the, we might have no, the, the fastest horse could be a 10 to one shot. You know, it's, it definitely plays with the market. And I think it is an incorrect view that I often hear espoused by horse players that these races are somehow benefits to industry insiders. The things that you can look at, at the data available, whether it's sales workouts or a, a real knowledge of, of pedigree, I think can give you a huge edge over tips that you hear because the reality, as we know, is that most horsemen, and when I say most, I mean nearly all, they, they, they might have a great opinion of their own horses, but it can be hard to know what's happening outside their own shed row. And it's not their job to know that. It's their job to take care of the specific animals in their care. So just some of the reasons why I like two-year-old races and, some, and also reasons why, while I know we have a lot of industry people who tune into these baby talk segments and baby talk shows, I think they're useful for, for horse players as well. Absolutely. I think that's, that's, that's exactly how I view it, honestly, is, you can get all the tips in the world and they might help you. Sometimes they don't, sometimes they really don't, but it's at the end of the day, it's the knowledge you can put together yourself of these horses and, and formulate your own opinion. And once you can come up with a confident opinion or mental formula yourself, that's when I think you really get good at nailing these baby races. Speaking of two-year-old races on Traverse Day and people who help out a lot behind the scenes at In The Money Media, Tyler Wisman put together an excellent thread on Twitter looking at some of these races and the historical impact they've had. And it is amusing that in many, many instances, it's not necessarily the winner that goes on to be the best horse. And, and that's, that follows a trend going back to, gosh, American Pharaoh, heck, even Secretariat, Triple Crown winners, well-touted. It didn't win on debut. Something to keep in mind when you're hearing these tips and trying to formulate your wagers. We'll see. Hopefully there's some future stars who are going to be on display on, on Saturday. There was also that funny stat bouncing around on Twitter. I don't know if you saw this one, Eric. And it was actually incorrect. There was a word missing, I think, in the stat. And I forget what year it started, but it was, you know, since X and X being a year a long time ago, there hadn't been a Derby winner who'd started in a Saratoga maiden. 
And the inaccuracy of the statement was that it didn't specify on dirt. Because as soon as I saw that, you know, I was like, well, what about Big Brown? Why doesn't that count? But, you know, it was a turf race. I thought that was funny. I don't think there's any signal in it, I, but I did think it was, I did think it was interesting stat to see. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, you're right. The the big Brown would, would throw a little, little caveat in there, but uh, it is interesting. And I think uh, I've heard people just in conversation, throw that stat around and it's, you know, we we're still looking at horses that are going to do, I mean, it was a year ago this weekend that Jack Christopher broke his maiden by however many at the spa. And then, now he's the heavy favorite for the Jerkins leading into it. So th- there's a good chance we're going to see some type of graded stakes level animal uh, coming up Saturday. Oh, no doubt. And I wouldn't and I wouldn't rule out the Derby based on that, though. We're going to be talking a bunch this fall, I think, about the, the Churchill program of two year old racing. And we'll do a bunch of baby talks around that as well. Let's talk about this first maiden race. It's actually the first race overall at Saratoga. Don't get caught out, people. Eleven thirty five is the scheduled post time for this one we've got a field of seven going postward and uh for me eric maybe i'm just being master of the obvious but there was one that stood out in here the number three verifying with a pedigree that just jumped off the page justify off to a great start with first time starters and a heck of a female family with a couple of winners including superstar midnight bisu this one cost seven hundred thousand plus at keeneland september now, I will throw one little caveat in here, and you can tell me if this puts you off at, at, at all. Brad Cox, known for getting firsters ready, but, and this I pulled from analysis over on DRF. I think this is a Mike Beer stat. Just four for 40 is Cox with two-year-old first-time starters sprinting on dirt in New York. So just a 10% strike rate, a very low ROI, and in that sample, just one for 17 at Saratoga. Do you agree with me? that the number three verifying looks like the horse to beat. And does that Cox stat give you any kind of pause? I, I agree. He looks like the horse to beat. You mentioned how great that pedigree is. Um, it's a pedigree that it's a win early pedigree. Um, it's they'll of course go on to do great things from there, but a lot of this dam's offspring tend to win first or second time out, but that Brad Cox stat does loom even larger to me. Um, it's not, you know, it, obviously the New York stat is there. Um, I just watching it. I didn't have an exact number, but I figured it was, pretty low but even then he's good with his firsters but it's still below the level that he regularly wins at that's a good point you have to look relative to baseline to find the true signal sometimes exactly he usually wins 24 25 percent any meet on a national basis with his firsters he wins a touch below 20 percent um and so i'm always willing to maybe look a little beyond them um if need be i'm never looking at a brad cox firster saying there's no way this horse can lose because <laughs> i know they, they might be really great but there's also a fair chance that they can get, I remember a cyber knife, I think is a great example. If we're going to keep it all Travers themed, heavily touted on debut, but horse kind of beats himself, but nevertheless, that's still going to knock that percentage down. So I think he looks like the goods, but I'm very hesitant this first time out. Who do you like instead? I like the horse just to his outside, Didinger for Butch Reed. And I think experience is obviously very important. That's not, you know, that's not some, random truth I'm speaking. Most people will, will agree with me, but I really liked his debut at Parks, even though it was a very narrow defeat. The way he finished in the last 100 yards, that that kind of tells me, okay, maybe he just wants a little further. Maybe it took him a little while throughout the race to figure out what was going on, but he was a very unlucky loser that day. And uh, it'll be interesting. The winner of that race, Belt Parkway, does run on the funny side. So maybe someone listening will... I don't think if, if Belt Parkway doesn't run well, I don't think that's a poor reflection on our horse didn't jerk here, but 
if he wins, of course, that's just going to elevate him tenfold. But I think the second time out, Butch Reed actually, if we go back to the percentages, 24% was second time starters in maiden races relative to a 20% win percentage. Uh, so I think the work tab solid. I think Didinger at a mild price could be able to upset a bunch of these somewhat touted first time starters. I saw it exactly the same way. That experience edge is tough to overrate, especially for one that was bet so hard on debut. And I pulled some historical numbers on Equibase actually on this one. Um, probably a, a sample going back further than, than formulator. I had for, for the career um, with Reed, 15% first out, 23% second out. So that's a you that's a very big difference. And the quick work since. I think Didinger is an interesting alternative to verifying and all the rest as we kick things off at Saratoga. Let's pivot to our second race. We've got an all-maiden double, which is kind of fun for uh, folks like us who really like these races. What numbers will be on your tickets, Eric, in race number two? We got it. We got it. I think this is, a, this is unlike the last race where I'm very confident in Didinger for this time around, I'm very hesitant to say there's one true standout in my mind. Um, obviously I think a lot of money is going to fly to Alexis Sorba. He's ran, you know, well, both times at Saratoga. I think this is a good chance for him to finally get in the winner's circle. Um, another horse with experience I like is the seven America's guest who finished up pretty well last time out, kind of just looked green. Um, and then there's a couple firsters I think are, are pretty interesting. The morning line favorite is the eight take to the, take me to Jimmy, excuse me. Um, real interesting note on this, this Colton, this pedigree. He's out of a um, damn who's produced two really nice runners for Chad Brown, two stakes quality fillies, and then six just very slow horses. So it, it's interesting. I, you don't know, but Chad Brown also trained both of those fillies, and he trains our Colt here. So um, like them, and then two maybe mild prices with good turf pedigrees are Highland Lord. He's a half to Highland Sky, who was a first time out winner at Saratoga probably six, seven years ago, um, going two turns on the grass, and then the nine, the count is a full to a winner and maybe it's some recency bias, but Thursday at the spa, uh, Philly for Christoph Clement, first time out named don't look back at all. Same exact pedigree cross one going five and a half on the grass. This Colt looks like he can run a little further based off his first start. So a lot of numbers there, but I think that's kind of how you have to look at this race. No, I mean, you can be spready, especially in the double when you've got a, a strong opinion in, in the first race. What did you make of the entry, the three diamonds entry in this spot? I, I, I didn't feel like letting them beat me particularly in the in the back half of this double. Yeah, I think as, as deep as you can go in this race, the better. And Mike Maker, grass two-year-olds, I'm always afraid of. We, we saw early on in the meet him do pretty well with those. We know in general he does well with them. And they have good turfy pedigrees by name value. I should put it that way. The, the mayors haven't really produced much, but – when you see Kitten's Joy in Temple City on the top side, you always have a little bit of confidence getting on the grass. Um, damn side, especially on that 1A decanted out of a Shamartle mare. Um, there's good things, and the work tabs are good enough on, especially, I think, decanted. If I was to take one of the two, it would probably be him. Um, that being said, you never know. These, these Mike Maker two-year-olds can always step up and run a big race. Yeah, that's I, I agree. Decanted is probably the more interesting one. Fire Baron, you talked about the damn side of the pedigree. Seven winners. She's dropped by my count, but only one turf winner. So that's not great. I do like, I do have a little bit of a thing for Temple City. So I, I, I'm happy to get as part of the price along with Decanted. But in addition to some of the ones you mentioned, uh, Highland Lord being one uh, that, that I'm also particularly interested in, always kind of a Highland Sky uh, fan. So 
those will be a couple of the numbers on my on my ticket here. I may take a stand against Alexis Orba, who I, I, I felt I feel like yeah might be rounding into form. It might be time for the Joseph O'Brien experiment to uh, to start paying off. But I thought there were maybe some other interesting ways to go, and and that might uh, might be a way to inject a little bit of value. Or if I play Alexis Orba just using as a horse, not pressing the way that I normally would in a double with a horse that I expect to catch a lot of money. One more race we wanted to talk about, and we'll go to Kentucky to do it. Very interesting, big full field for Ellis Park's fifth race on Saturday. 3.52 is the scheduled post time. If folks, if you like any of the cases we've made on any of these uh, races at Monmouth or Woodbine or Ellis, like this one we're about to talk about, I highly suggest setting an alarm on your phone. It's going to be very easy if you're at Travers, especially to get distracted and, you know, be, be heading to the bar at the wrong time. But yeah, I, I think I'm going to have an alert on the phone for about 3:51, So I can make sure to catch this two-year-old maiden race. Cause it looks really, really interesting. Where did your guy go in here, Eric? I think the, the lower prices on the morning line look like the, the best options, but it seems if, if it's the morning line refer, reflects how things are actually going to shake out. They're still going to get some solid value going with those lower prices. The five salute the stars, seven to two, ran huge on debut. I mean, he got pinched out really badly at the start, made this big sweeping move on the turn, rushed home, really was the best horse in the race, just got really unlucky. Um, and that's a, just a general theme about a lot of horses in this race. They all kind of had a little bit of trouble, and a lot of them already have experience. We have, it's kind of rare these days to see an August Maiden where more of the field has experience than not. So, so Luther Stars was definitely the biggest standout. That being said, I think there's a couple others that are kind of interesting to me. Um, Solomon Vandy, the three for Ken McPeak, comes out of the same race. And I always love a Ken McPeak second-time starter. The numbers might not always reflect, but he just occasionally has a way. A horse who runs a smart enough race first out can usually do it even better the second time. So those are definitely the two biggest names uh, in my mind, but I think this is a pretty – Solid bunch, and I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe the favorite get toppled by by some horse who takes a good step. Salute the stars. The thing I was most interested in is you look at that running line, you see how far back he was early, and you expect that to be a fast pace, something that was falling apart a little bit. Not so, according to the time form U.S. pace figures. In fact, you even have a blue-coated number in there. So Salute the stars was doing plenty of running and is sure to come on for that run. One other that I'll name check that I thought was a little bit interesting was the, the, the forerunner, St. Neots, this horse who sprinted on debut, um, took a very significant chunk of cash, about seven to two that day. Um, and then, as you pointed out, trouble, uh, you know, that so many of these have had trouble. And St. Neots was one of them, just kind of walking out of there, maybe going to be better accustomed on pedigree to going along. And I think clearly has talent based on the money caught on, on the first day. Could be interesting at a big price for Vicky Oliver, who's having such a good meet down there. Anything else you want to talk about at Ellis or anywhere else this weekend, my friend? I mean, it's it's a strong card at Ellis. They got a couple of good maiden races, maybe not for just the two-year-olds. But I do also – one other horse I, I forgot to mention was the 12. I hate the post, but easy big boy getting on the grass for the first time does kind of intrigue me in this this fifth from Ellis on Saturday uh, for Steve Asmussen. He has experience. He's been not really well beaten. He runs good races, but he ran into Gulfport and Damon's Mound in back-to-back races. So I uh, I can't fault him too much there. Didn't run well last time, but I do like the switch to the turf. Um, cloud computing had a really nice runner 
of Chad Brown's uh, I'm Very Busy a few weeks ago, one first time out on the grass. Uh, I, I don't know. There's not much turf pedigree for this guy on the dam side, but maybe, maybe one who, if if you're feeling like going deeper in this race, could be one to throw in there because I do I do think the switch to grass could help him improve. He has some that semblance of talent, so the surface switch there looks a little promising. Curlin certainly not a bad turf influence on the dam side with that smart strike blood in there. And then uh, I'll tell you this, just looking at the work tab, I haven't seen the works, but that last work looks better than the previous work. So this could be one who's coming into hand. And I'll say this about these bad posts. Like none of us really, we don't like them from a, it's going to improve our strike rate point of view, but it's one of the things the public sometimes really overreacts to. And maybe this horse that looks like it should be a six or eight to one shot ends up going off at 10 or 12. So definitely one to keep on side in this big competitive field. Good stuff, Eric. Uh, you did a great job and we look forward to having you on soon. And, and we'll talk about getting some in the money uh, participation when it comes to Tucson this year off air. There we go. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'd like to thank all of today's guests, the ones who were here with us on Friday morning as we record from the Little House on the East Side, and, of course, our team that joined us for Horse Player Happy Hour. Can't encourage you enough to turn up for those shows. You know, we have good participation. I mean, it's 160, 170 a week, up to 200. It should be more, frankly. We really – it's for such a good cause. It's so much fun. And uh, we need to show the industry that horse players are going to respond when we come up with deals that are good to horse players, like, for example, adding $20,000 to the tour pot at no cost to them. So come join us for Horse Player Happy Hour. I don't care if you play all the fours. We call that the Kilroy around here. Um, horseplayers.com is the place. Games go live typically on Tuesday, and I'll be pumping them, and we'll you know get you involved, hopefully, in the future. So many other ways you can help out and uh, support us as well. Our free newsletter, that's a great way to do it in the moneypodcast.com slash email going to be adding some new content on there hopefully some horses to watch that kind of feature which could be fun and then in the money plus is where you can get little digests of the picks from the shows as well as extra content including i think we're gonna have jk do the early pick five for saratoga as part of this week's. So that's the only place you're going to get that content it really doesn't cost much and it's a great way to help us out if you want to help us out you don't have the money do the free newsletter and also rate review and subscribe wherever you get podcasts, essentially. So if you're an iTunes person, do the audio on there. YouTube channel as well. We do have YouTube-only content um, sometimes. It's definitely worth subscribing. Leave a review. Helps people find the show. And it's not that people are going through and scouring reviews of uh, podcasts and deciding what they want to listen to. It's more a case of the algorithm. When you leave comments, it helps the algorithm. And of course, if there's are five-star reviews, they're going to help a lot more than anything else. All right. I thank the guests. We'll thank our founding partners, TRF Barbecue. That was so much fun this week, despite my um, eyeglasses. Well, not eyeglasses, really. Contact lens fail. It's hard to read the numbers off those little raffle tickets, people, but I did my best. Uh, and Anthony Stabile bailed us out anyway. So that was cool. Uh, but that was a great event. So happy to see that sell out. And thanks to everybody who bid on the whiskey tasting um, I'm really excited to get that going. That's going to be fun. We'll do more stuff like that in the future. But that that made me feel uh, that made me feel warm and fuzzy. Thank thank you everybody out there who supports the TRF Ten Strike Racing. We had Clay in the uh, it, actually there's a loft up above me. He was there for Alabama, and we've got Marshall back in town. Uh, he was part of the the failed um, Monster Pod Live last night. He failed in the sense of technology. The show itself was great. You'll just have to take my word for it. Um, but it was great to see Marshall. Can't wait to hang with him more this weekend. Thanks, though, most of all to all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Producer Craig back with us 
now married and uh, back pushing all the right buttons. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinship. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your Travers Day photos.